0: Hello, basketball world. It's Eric Gormley from Playsight. Welcome to The Edge. Each week, we'll be bringing you interviews from the brightest minds and most interesting people in hoops, breaking down their careers, jobs, stories, and ultimately finding out what gives them the edge each time their team steps out onto the court. We hope you enjoy a behind-the-scenes look into each one of our guests. Let's get to the interview. Welcome to The Edge podcast. I'm Eric Gormley, and on this episode, we spoke to Tom Biaszewski, assistant coach of Olympia Milano of the Italian League. Tom shared his experience of being in Italy during the coronavirus's early stages and the impact it has had on his team, family, and daily life as a coach overseas. We also discussed Tom's experience in various NBA roles and winding up leading the NBA's global academy team in Australia. Having worked as an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Lakers for five years, Tom shared stories about his relationship with Kobe Bryant, working with him on and off of the court, and the unmatched attention to detail that Kobe had. Let's get to the interview. Well, Tom, welcome to The Edge podcast. Today we've got Tom Biashefsky, assistant coach for Olympia Milano of the Italian League, who also plays in the EuroLeague. Tom, how are you doing? Really well,
1: all things considered.
0: Yep, are you still in Italy right now?
1: Yep, we, we decided to stick it out, and... um Yep, we're here and experiencing this um, in a different way. I guess maybe three, maybe two, three weeks ahead of what, what most people in, in the States are going through right now. And and
0: how long has the the team or the, the season been shut down for there?
1: Oh, I think we're, I want to say it was maybe March. Well, it's different. Um, I think March 10th or 11th, the EuroLeague officially got suspended. They basically, because um, after all the the NBA did it, they the early did it um but prior to that since it got it hit so hard in italy in specific northern italy our italian league was had been suspended i think um from from mid mid february or like the third week of february it was suspended week to week and then it was then it just then they then they canceled it so i mean we we haven't had a practice or a game since that that early 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 march and
0: Definitely, definitely a lot of time off there. Um, I want to I get back to, well, I want to come back to your uh, experience in the Italian league, but um, I want to f- rewind all the way to uh, Buffalo, New York, where you kind of got your start and interest in basketball originally. Um, I know I, I've read some stories about um, growing up watching Christian Laettner and Duke. So take us through, you know, what it was like growing up watching that um, and when you knew you wanted to Uh, be a coach in basketball?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, you've definitely done your homework. Um, I I did grow up about 40 miles outside of Buffalo in in an area, I mean, a city called Dunkirk, New York. And uh, Leitner was actually from about, I think, 10, 10, 12 miles from there, like his hometown. And so maybe just a little bit more. But so anyways, when I was like, um, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, when he was at Duke, the, the, the Buffalo papers and the Buffalo all the the news channels, you know, he was that was they were covering like a home team, like like Duke was in, in Western New York because of that, because you know, he was a hometown kid and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that that that's probably my first recollection with um, with basketball because the NBA is not a very big thing in or wasn't at the time in Buffalo because uh, as I probably many um cities who lose a franchise, the the, the Buffalo area have lost the lost the Buffalo Braves. I believe my parents have been like part-time season ticket holders and everything like that. So really there was almost an animosity towards the NBA. And um, at least in my experience. And so, yeah, that um, it kind of progressed there from, from, from that interest and becoming really a, a college basketball fan more so than anything. I mean, I think the only really um NBA games I would watch would be the playoffs and the all-star game. And I don't know whether that was just lack of interest or access because college games are always ESPN and, and whatnot. And you could just watch them. Um, but uh, the interest in coaching, I was, I really went to, I went to school to be a teacher, um, to be a social studies teacher. And so I think it was the back in those days when, or at least in my area, the teachers were the coaches too. Like, you know, the guys that were, you know, you taught a class and you, So I always thought that was something I wanted to do. And when I was student teaching, when I was a sophomore through, through a senior in, um, in college, I had started coaching, uh, JV girls basketball at my, at the, at the high school I went to, which I went to a, a small D3 school, uh, SUNY Fredonia, which is basically a hometown school too. So while I was there, I was able to kind of do that and, you know, get the, um, the ball rolling. And then my last year there, um, I was, uh, I was assistant with the men's basketball team there as well, while also doing the, the JV girls. So I was student teaching and doing coaching in two different, um, two different teams. And right then and there, like I knew, I, it just occurred to me one day that people were getting paid to do this for a living and just that. And um, I just felt like when you're young, you have a chance to either try some different things out, make mistakes, you know, regroup. And for me, it was a, it was a point where, well, let me see this me see what will, what, what, how, how, you know, if it's possible to make this happen, make this my career. And um, it's just a different form of teaching. So I don't really feel like I've ever gotten away from those roots. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of the genesis of, of how it all started. And then it became going to um, uh, grad school at the University of Louisville. And <laughs> I went, I applied to grad school late. And the only, um, the only uh, prerequisites weren't, the program or anything like that was who had a men's and women's basketball team that were relevant that i could try to go there and you know be a pest and try to latch on with one of them and and just gain some experience
0: and so from there you got your start in the nba uh with the cleveland clabs is that correct
1: yeah so i did the um i did the year at louisville um with the women's basketball team there and then uh, i was doing a lot of the video stuff there and uh it was an outlet for me or, or an inroad to to just be relevant or to bring value or whatever you or provide some sort of service to to kind of be just in the loop. And um yeah, so then the next year um I ended up um uh ended up with a video internship with the Cavs. So it was a, a fairly crazy jump in a matter of like 18 months from JV Girls basketball to LeBron and the Cavs. Uh, something I never foresaw, but I was, you know, very fortunate uh, to to have that opportunity. And so
0: in that internship and we've been talking to a lot of other people, um, some of your friends, Sammy, Anwar, who have um, come up through video uh, experiences as well and kind of how that's how they got their start. What were some of your duties with the Cavs early on?
1: Uh, Well, it was basically first one in, last to leave. and you're just breaking down games it was a lot less streamlined than it is now and just as um i was told when i was doing it by some of the people there that had done it before maybe five ten years earlier you don't know how easy you have it in this digital age and and with things available i mean it's 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 night and day compared to when i did it and uh so yeah you're just watching games i mean it was literally just watching games all day every day um and then Obviously, being in the Eastern time zone, some, those are the first games to tip if you weren't playing that night. And if for some reason you needed a West Coast game, you were in the office till that West Coast game ended. And, and, and trying to just get as much done and stay ahead as possible so that I could be at practice and, and try to learn and be around the coaches as much, even though that wasn't necessarily my primary responsibility. But it was just to be able to make sure that I could make their life easier and then I can try to be around and soak as much up as possible and hopefully get as much out of the experience as possible.
0: And then from the Cavs, explain to the listeners where you went from there, ultimately um, being with the Lakers and then you know, the Global Academy, and now to where you're at now.
1: Yes, yeah, so after, um, after the Cavs, I ended up, um, it, it was a year where I didn't get a job. Uh, so, so I actually ended up working to uh, you know, each team back then probably had one, video, one intern, and you know what. there's only a handful of jobs every summer that become open for full time. So there's a natural attrition that goes on and there's just not enough. And I remember I was up for a couple of jobs, didn't get either of them or any of them. I ended up going to work for um, for for Exos Technologies. They had just acquired another company and they were you know doing some MBA stuff. And due to my time at Louisville and my time at um, uh, the, the Cavs, I was exposed to two different editing softwares that I was kind of brought into, you know, I don't know troubleshoot, but also to kind of teach workflow and all that kind of stuff to maybe the people who didn't know it. And so I kind of used that as an opportunity to to grow my network, and that was the main goal. It wasn't That was not a end of the road type type job. It was to just expand my network to be talking to people, whether it be in college or in the NBA, on a you know daily basis, weekly basis, whatever. And luckily, that paid off. And through some contacts made there, um, I ended up with the Sacramento Kings as an assistant video. Crew coordinator um the following season. Uh a couple years there, things didn't go well. Uh the team was losing a lot of money. They they cut a lot of um uh they cut a lot of salaries or positions I should say and just to stay in the loop, not go back to Buffalo. There was no need to. I, I stayed there, uh worked in Reno with the G League team in Reno while also doing some West Coast scouting for a few teams to to get stay in the loop. And then um Uh, fortunately Mike Brown got the, uh, the Laker job and I had worked with him, um, that year in Cleveland and stayed in touch. And, and after that lockout ended the lockout season, he had actually brought me on, I think it was like three games into the season. Um, so that's kind of how it got to the point to me being in in Los Angeles.
0: And in your time with Los Angeles, you, you know, got a chance to coach with some pretty amazing coaches, Mike D'Antoni, uh, Messina, um, Quinn Snyder, Darvin Ham, Steve Clifford, just to name a few. What was it like, you know, looking back now, um, working under so many different head coaches that you know to see where they're at now in their careers?
1: I was phenomenal, and it. it's it's something I look back on. And I, I think this this time where we haven't had much to do, I've I've been able to go back through a lot of notes I've had and a lot of you know, I guess notes I've taken through the years or things I've accumulated to kind of just see some of the things that maybe I forgot that I learned from some of these guys, but yeah, to be exposed. No, first of all, to, 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 to go work for that franchise, that had such high expectations that in and of itself was, was something that you just, I don't think you can understand until you go through it until you're there, but to go there. And um, then, like you said, I, I was there for four different head coaches. If you, if you count Bernie Baker five games, bridge where he did Mike D'Antoni to, sorry, Mike Brown and Mike D'Antoni. But yeah, yeah Mike Brown. And then like you mentioned, D'Antoni. And uh, obviously I work with Edda right here, work for Edda right here. But yeah, it, it was, it was, it was amazing. And even like an Eddie Jordan who had been um, around, who had been a multiple time NBA head coach, he came in the, the, the second year to, to like Bernie who had been around for years and years and who just, just to pick these guys' brains. Cause it was a very, very eclectic group. Um, when you when you when you put it in a like as a whole, because you had guys who were former players who could bring that perspective, you had guys who were former head coaches, you had guys who were top of the line assistants who were going to be head coaches, as you've seen with with Cliff and with um, with Quinn, and um, just that constant there there was just to be around that. To, I mean, looking back on it, it, it was it was a heck of a learning experience and um, tremendous for my growth because I'm able to. You know calling these guys to this day or when we talk about things and just kind of see where things are at and um it's kind of very similar when you work with them on that you know their assistance were kind of kind of on the same level but you're not so you're able to really form those bonds that maybe are not as if it they're if it's a head coach versus an an like, when you're lower, like, the head coach obviously has many more things that put you spend more time with the assistant coaches. So just much more natural progression, like, to me and my in terms of how you relate to people.
0: And, and, you know, on on the court, you got to coach guys like Kobe, Steve Nash, Paul Gasol. Um, you know, what was it like to coach those guys playing at such a high level, you know, being on the court with them, studying a video with them? Um, what was that experience like? Uh,
1: Priceless. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest things you realize when you, when I got to the NBA is how smart these guys are, how dedicated they are to their craft. And then I think you really ratchet it up when you see like the guys, you know, as in anything in the NBA, you have a lot more, um, or in basketball, you have a lot more people that are average and exceptional. And so when you really see the people who are exceptional, it really stands out. And that's a nothing, whether it be skill set, basketball IQ, commitment, whatever it may be. And, you know, the three guys you mentioned um, were each and of their own, brought very things at a high level. Um, The film study that Kobe did was, was tremendous. Um, That was something that, because of my role at the time, I I was able to do a lot with him and uh, pick his brain and, you know, ask him things and, which then became more conversations than just me, you know, as a fly on the wall, so to speak, and just facilitating what he wanted, which then um, again, help with my growth. Uh, so, I mean, I think anytime you're, you're, you're around in any field, you want to be around the best, um, and you can learn from the best and you can try to be exposed to that. It gives you a different perspective that, um, that you couldn't otherwise have.
0: Yeah. and, And pivoting to Kobe a bit, um, you know, what are your memories of Kobe both on and
1: off the court? Uh, we don't have enough time, you know, that it's, 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 um, you know, he was tremendous for my, you know, development, my growth. You know, one of the biggest things he did is he gave me credibility because I think once, you know, people saw how he treated me and our relationship, whether it was uh, coaches on our team or other teams or or other players or another player would come in the team. It's like you almost, you, you know, you, you had achieved something already so that in their mind, you didn't have to go through with them maybe at such a high level or or, or there wasn't as much resistance. Um, so yeah, I mean, whether it be just in the gym with him alone, where he's working on his footwork and and doing his routines and and that um, commitment to his craft, which is which is well documented, to you know just joking around over dinner, you know, over a glass of wine and whatever it may be, and just able to talk about life and parenting. Uh, or or post playing career for him, or or where we came from, and all that kind of stuff. It was just like it just it was it was just a genuine, you know, relationship where you could just ask and talk about anything. So yeah, I mean, I was for I was it's it's one thing I tell people is I was unfortunate and fortunate at the same time. I was unfortunate that I was there for the last five years um, because I didn't get any of the championships and all the accolades and and be able to experience that. But at the same time. Um, in terms of talking to people who were with him for those years or most of his career, I don't know that I would have been let in, you know, early. And so it's a blessing and a, and a curse at the same time. So I'm very, very um, fortunate that, you know, I was there then and to be able to get that access, especially with what I'm trying to do um, in coaching and, and, and the value he gave me in terms of a basketball like perspective. I mean, that's, that's, that's priceless to me. And um, so I don't know that that would have been, if I was there 10 through 15, instead of 16 through 20, and um, so, again, like, I, it's a different perspective I have and, and, and something I'm very appreciative of.
0: Yeah. And, you know, what What was Kobe's preparation like for games? I know, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago you were on the Woj Pod and there are some stories about some of his late night workouts. But for the listeners, describe, you know, what his preparation work ethic was like.
1: I mean, it was, I mean, yeah, it was everything you would think of you know, the, the commitment. So whether it was with his body, with his mind, or with, you know, with the film study or the the skill development or maintenance or whatever you want to call it for him, you know, it was just an approach that was going to be, he wasn't going to be outworked. He wasn't going to take shortcuts. And no matter how monotonous things might have gotten over doing it over the entire course of his life and his career, uh, it he didn't cut corners. And, you know, obviously the basketball IQ part what is was tremendous with, you know, if he didn't, wasn't able to practice, you know, for an injury or whatever, and, or couldn't attend a shoot around or participate because of that, but just being able to sit on the side and soak everything up and then be able to put it into play or, or have not even been out there to just be telling him what the game plan is and have them go out and be able to execute. I mean, that just, you just get an appreciation for that level of, um, of intellect.
0: Yeah. And we, a couple of our guests have mentioned uh, the phrase, and I had never heard it before, but sweat equity. And basically Mm -hmm. the players, you know, they expect you to put in just as much work as them. Do you remember what your first experience was um, out on the court? Kobe asked you for advice. Hey, what do you see here? Um, What that experience was like and then how it grew over the years. You've talked about, you know, on the court, off the court, Um, but just, you know, him turning to you for advice on certain things
1: on the game. Yeah. No, I remember one time it was a practice because he, where he's just like, what'd you see last night? Or, you know, it was something to that effect. I don't remember. And it was just kind of like, and he, I felt very early on he was, I don't want to say feeling me out, but I was new to him, you know, and, and I think he just won. And I, that whole staff was new to them. So it was a lockout year so that those guys didn't have a whole summer with them to build a relationship and, and, and things of that nature. So, um, you know, just being able to ask a question and to, to, to get it. But you mentioned the sweat equity thing. Yeah. That, that's a big thing being out there. And I mean, I, I remember being out there at some points where, you know, he's getting pissed at you because you know, you're not passing in the right direction or he's trying to do something and, or sorry, you know, passing it like maybe out of his, where he wanted it. And yeah, I mean, I'm not an NBA player. <laughs> I don't claim to be or anything like that. And so there was, but later it got to be like, yeah, you, you know, I'm not a player. And, and I like, and it became more of a running joke, but yeah, getting out there and like just trying. And, and, but to me, it was more like just being able to make sure that I was prepared for any, anything he might ask. And I think in any, in anything you do in life, you need to be prepared for what you expect to happen or what you don't expect to happen. And if you put the work in, uh, you're ready for those questions. And and again, um, some of those led to good natured disagreements and some of them were where things were agreed upon. But um, but again, it was just it was just another tool for him to try and process, you know, what, what he was seeing or, or or how to attack something or just a different perspective.
0: And, you know, watching the Michael Jordan documentary right now, it's hard not to see the similarities between, you know, Kobe and, and MJ's games and the influence that MJ had on Kobe's game as you're watching that or, or have you gotten a chance to watch that? And if so, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, um, you know, the, the, similarities between each other's games?
1: Uh, yes, I have been able to watch it. And I think the first thing that has come to mind is like, that was his last year was documented. I mean, we had, a, we had, we had four or five cameras everywhere we went, you know, practice and, 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 uh, So like, there's a striking similarity in terms of how, you know, he was already into that post-playing career mode, like in terms of what he was going to do and how to transition. And so he documented it, you know, he paid for it. It was, it was his thing too. And so, I mean, there's got, there's thousands of hours that exist, um, you know, of of that. But yeah, I mean, in terms of, to me, like the footwork, the attacking, the the killer mindsets, you, you, you can see it. I mean, I think we've, all oh, seen those YouTube videos where they do the mashups of one doing another move. I mean, it's Sir Jordan's move. And then the next frame is Kobe doing the exact same move. And the one thing I'll tell you is like that guy would try something and he would try something <laughs> until he got it right, you know, and, and until he felt comfortable and then he would break it out and then it would be part of the arsenal. So, I mean, it was just a relentless um, commitment to, to you know, perfecting things. And, you know, you, you've
0: been in Italy now for a, quite some time. Um, you know, Kobe grew up in Italy. What was the reaction while you were in Italy to his death?
1: Uh, it was tremendous. Um, I mean, there was, you know, they, I think by and large, they consider him one of their own here, you know, and he, I know he spent every summer here, um, you know, he would come back for, and, um, you know, he spoke the language. So there was a very, very, um, you know he was connected to to the people here, the culture here, and everything. So yeah, it was. I mean, it's a it's a very passionate country. They're passionate about their sports. You know, the soccer, the the basketball. So there's an appreciation. And then you know, I mean, this guy was an icon, a global icon for for very good reasons. Um, and to see it here, and you know, without I mean, what we played? What probably for three and a half, four weeks after it all happened. So I mean, there wasn't. A section of any arena we went in that you didn't see an eight or a 24, uh, so there was an outpouring of support, appreciation, and um, you know, rightfully so. He obviously did a lot for the game, but but again, you know, there was a kinship between him and Italy that uh, that um, that really showed through in in those, in those times.
0: So, Tom, to transition a little bit, I want to get to your time uh, at the NBA's Global Academy in Australia, which is where we actually met for the first time um yep. what were some of your responsibilities there what did that look like um and, and for the listeners who are not familiar with the nba global academy program can you just uh
1: provide a little detail on that um well i can kind of tell you where it is where it was when when when, when like it was pitched to me because i i was the first one to run the one and and i mean there it was it was new it was a i remember when the MBA pitched it to me they didn't i mean it was it was like a recruitment almost because they were not, not so much that it wasn't something I wouldn't do, but it was something I just had so many questions about and that they had to really, you know, this is how we're going to do it. Basically, essentially what I've, at least it was at the time, it may have changed. It's been a couple of years since I've been involved, but, you know, try to take players from around the world who maybe didn't have the um, access to whether it be, you know. Facilities, medical coaching, strength, whatever it may be that may be um, holding them back and put them in a you know an NBA sponsored environment where they would have that, and you know not even in the best of environments, not every person is going to make it um, but to make sure that there was no hindrance, and the NBA, obviously does the best of borders on every uh, on the continents and amongst every other um, every other initiative they do so they have a very good identification system of uh international prospects but then after those camps there was really nothing that they would do with them um so it was one way to bring them together and and, and the unique thing about the one in australia was it was kind of going to be the best of the best they had the best infrastructure because they partnered with the australian institute of sports um so i mean that was all taken care of but then also it was a like a, a coaching staff who was myself, an assistant, and, and a player development coach, and um, partnered with, you know, coinciding with uh, the Center for Excellence, the Australian uh, Development Program there, where they were able to play against each other. So it was just putting him in an environment where, hey, listen, if you're going to be successful, we'll give you every tool to be successful. If not, you're going to get educated and and, and we'll help, help you with, um, there was a big life skills element to it. And so it was like, okay, you'll get some life skills, too, that will transcend basketball because there's more people than not are not going to make it in basketball. So it was just one of those things where, I mean, just try to help them set themselves up for the rest of their lives. And And it was unique for me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go for it, Tom. No, and what was unique for me is it was like – it was a blank slate because, you mean, you – you spend all these years kind of formulating how you would run a program if you were able to do it. And it was really uninhibited. Like this is how you can do it. This is, there was no worry about winning or losing games. You know, it was like, you know, the, the, the goal is development and to do it in the right way. And so if you mean the player getting worse in order for him to get exponentially better that we had the, there was no pressure against that. So it was a very, um, to me, you know, it was, it, was, it was a very sterile environment for them to just be able to, um, developed and for us to do things the right way and, and not with the, the things maybe you might find in AAU basketball or, or things like the horror stories that i think you can definitely hear that um, th- that have happened around the world
0: and and that's what struck me when i you know was out at the games you know the, the nba brought together all of the different um other academies across the world <laughs> so there was one from asia one from africa um, i think there was maybe one from Latin America, I'm not sure, but you know, yeah. to to see where all the teams could compete against each other, where they stack up against each other, um, the player development aspect that went into the training of, I think, the 10 days or, or two weeks that I was out there, um, that's what struck me is, you know, something that the NBA and really the academies were really invested in growing the game, making sure that the players develop in the right way. So um, to have worked for something like that, it seems like it was a really great experience and kind of set. Um, the tone for you know the international game that you're working in now as well
1: yeah and because of my um I guess because of having worked with Powell and work with that with the Lakers like I there was something that was always very intriguing to me about the international game and I remember I remember just trying to talk to Powell about the relegation system how it works over here like in terms of divisions and you know first division second division some guys come up so and i just offer oh, something just something i couldn't wrap my head around and but i also didn't grow up a, a soccer fan um trying to get into it now here which is it's the soccer model so um i think if so to me it was foreign to me which where soccer fans are very um very you know in tune with it but to me it was a development part of it that the games are different the, the the rules are different um and you mentioned the player development part i mean that's what it was it was built was built around each individual each individual athlete and you know it was about assessing them, um, what can they be, what's the best time spent and do it in a competitive nature where they can learn, you know, some maybe those uh those those competitive traits, like whether it be determination, competitiveness, um, grit, all that kind of stuff. Like we tried to build or at least I try to build some of that into like everything we did. Uh, see so it was it was it was interesting. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, um, and again, like you mentioned about bringing the guys together from all over the world. I mean, but to me, like the cultural aspect of it was amazing. Like I had guys on my team from Argentina, uh, Egypt, where else Cameroon, um, South Korea. I mean, it's so just the little intricacies of, uh, India, uh, it just to pick up those little nuances and, and, and cultural things, um, were, was something that, uh, I don't get in that, aside from a, like a experience like that where everyone's brought together to live together and, and, and kind of all that stuff shines through.
0: Definitely. Tom, talk about your relationship with Edore, how you got involved with Olympia Milano, um, the transition from the Lakers to the international game. Uh, take us through that.
1: Well, yeah, Edirei and I worked together uh, that first year I was with the Lakers at, and then him and uh, Quinn left uh, He. I took the job at Cheska and Quinn went to be his league assistant. Um, so, and I was close to Quinn um, as well. So I was always, just always checking in on them when they were over. And I don't, I'm not someone who does well with idle time. And so I like, I was like, to be doing something. So one of the things that um, I was doing, it was, I think that's yeah, the year after the year they left, it was the year where we ended up having like a, uh, nash and, and and um and dwight come in where we had that where everyone expected us to be phenomenal and then with injuries and cove's achilles we were out early so i remember just you know reaching out to those guys that were going to the final four and i was rem- i was writing scouting parts on um, from uh nba perspective on their final four opponents just because i needed something to do and uh we just stayed in touch over the years that and I and did it the following year. He helped us out here. We came to Italy on our honeymoon. He helped us out with a lot of like, hey, you should check this out restaurant. And it was just something that really grew organically over time. And then um then he came to the Spurs. I was still with the Lakers and then I was doing the Academy thing. And I, you know, I you I um lean on him heavily with like a lot of the things, ideas I had for how to structure things with the Academy. And it was just um you know, something that grew like we grew as friends first and foremost over time and a mentor friendship. Um, and then you know, he got the job. Uh, I never forget. I was in China doing a camp for Nike and, you know, he got the job. He told me he was going and then, you know, two days later, he had the job. And by the time I landed in back in the States, you know, it, we were, we were going with him, so it was just, um, appreciation because, uh, you know, he didn't have to bring me, um, obviously a lot easier to hire a European in this role than or italian specifically than than an american um but uh i know what uh the uh the role meant for quinn going over to be his lead assistant as well and so for me to get that opportunity here um just to go and learn with him learn a different style of play because like i said i was always intrigued from it from you know talking with power edery but like there's nothing like being immersed in it i mean i still am reviewing things now from the season that's Okay, yeah, uh, you know, you you find out these little things you you miss when everything's going a million miles an hour so to be immersed in it, you know, there, there there's no better way than to to learn it.
0: And and what have been the biggest differences between um the Italian game and the NBA that you've noticed?
1: Well, to me it's it's a few things, you know, it's it's everything is tighter, you know, like the the dimensions of the court first of all and 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 you know, the three-point line being being in a little bit more so that from a spacing Um, perspective but to me it's just so much more um, so much more tactical it's so much more um, uh, trying to think of the right word here like it's it's a very cerebral game I guess you would say because and even the players like they know what the counters to everything are and it's not necessarily an athletic counter like whereas, you know this guy's doing this so I'm immediately going to do this and it's more of an uh, attack mode like like you would see um, in America it's more of, okay, they're doing this coverage, so we immediately go to this. And it's, and, um, and it's not just the, the guys you would say are high basketball IQ players, it's everyone. And so like there is an ingrainedness, you know, everyone's ingrained in terms of like, this is how things go. It's almost like a flow chart, like if this, then this, and this, and this. So it's a copycat league, like most places are, um, but in terms of like the tactical um, arrangements, um, it's very, it's way more technical, and at least in the approach. And you have, you have more time to, to to prepare. So you might go into a game, and you know, you might remake your team, or you might put in a few new sets that you, you haven't. And I know we did that a couple times this year, and it was really, I was blown away that Ederay was going to do it in big games, and he did it, and we caught a team by surprise. And I mean, it was. It, it was just great and you see the, the coaching over here is really well so to steal some things here and there has been uh it's just something different because a lot of nba teams run the same thing um same stuff just in a, a variety of different ways so here to see like the, the different nuances um and to be exposed it's like it's like learning a new language um and you're just you know trying to take as much away and bring as much value as possible
0: and, and you mentioned watching you know video of this past season How have you seen video and technology in general um, change from when you were at your days at Louisville and the Cavs early on to, you know, where you've used it with the Lakers and now, um, you know, with Olympia Milano?
1: I mean, from, from my days at Louisville to now, I mean, in Louisville a game would be going on. I would be at the second level of freedom hall and I would be working a computer, a DVD recorder and a, um, and a camp Carter at the same time, and I it was it was I, Greg Collins who, who who was he would always joke with me. He's he was the assistant that I worked pretty much under. He's now the head coach in Western Kentucky women's basketball. Was one of the best basketball people I've ever been around. Um, but he would always joke with me, you know, about like what we were trying to do. And then, you know, I think then when you got to the NBA, like from a video perspective, I always thought the video coordinator was a very um, misleading. Um, word or title because like you weren't really videoing anything i get it, you're watching video but like most of the teams didn't even have camcorders because they had a mounted um some sort of mounted system and obviously your guys is which what you guys offer is has is, is been the evolution of that to so now like it's all just it's seamless <laughs> you know it, it, instead of having i remember work we from mike brown my first year he would only watch vhs so i actually went from working on computers um it with, with Louisville to then that year, he needed everything on VHS or every other coach was working off of um, computers. So it was really, I mean, it was just like, you just have to be willing to adapt and grow with the times. And um, luckily for me, um, I was able to do that. And I'm somewhat tech savvy and and, and it hasn't been a hindrance to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, in talking with some of the other guests again, that, you know, the, the evolution over the years of, you know, some of the automation that's available now, um, what, what type of data and analytics are you guys looking at? You know, f- when you look at the game to game, look at opponents, what, what are you, what's, what are some of the things that you specifically look for?
1: Well, it's a little bit different here because we don't have access to everything like you. I mean, you almost get, you get spoiled in the NBA with everything you have access to, whether it be, from you know a secondary provider or something you're doing in-house or something like there's just so many fan sites out there that some of them are really monitored well that that you could actually steal some things from there and gain them. so that doesn't really exist over here see so it becomes more rudimentary and obviously with with this being our first year here and and eterate just taking over we're trying to shape some of that where i think we'll assess some of that this off season. but obviously i mean like to me, I think one of the big things I look for, and this is probably, I mean, Mike D'Antoni is the one who really um, showed me it was the points per possession, um, and instead, instead of points per game, you know, whether it be offensive and defensively. So that's something that that I look for. And you mentioned Sammy earlier, so if I have any analytic questions or need some something fleshed out or to make sense of something, he's a, he's always a great resource. So I mean. You, it, it's interesting because the NBA can be somewhat paralysis by analysis because there's so much at what point do you sit there and say, hey, this is relevant, this isn't relevant. And here I think it's more of an eye test um, and more of a feel right now, whereas I think if we can get to a point where we can check ourselves a little bit, like in terms of having some hard data to, to back it up, I think that's you know where probably NBA teams were about five years ago. And I think, you know, but, but it just, it's just different. The... the, the, the the budgets are different. The 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 staffs are different. You're wearing multiple hats here, and you know there's there's as with everything, there's a priority list, and you know you can't get to everything. Yeah. What what has it been like being in Italy
0: during um, COVID nineteen? You know, obviously there's it's been an effect on it's affected everybody. Um, you know, how have you communicated with the players? Are you guys shifting to more digital communication? How does that look?
1: Well, some of, most of our players are here, or I would say maybe half of them. The ones who, I think some, some, some of the, a couple of the Americans went home, but a lot of them, we all live in like the same little complex or this, this area. So we've, we've been able to actually starting for the last week and a half, we've been able to get back out at court with them just a little bit and gotten able to do some stuff. But, you know, we've, I think we've understood like it, it got, hit, it hit hard here. Like it was, a, it's obviously one of the hardest hit areas in the world. So there's a perspective on it like that basketball is, you know, although it's important to us because it's our livelihood, you know, it's not the, you know, some things are bigger than basketball. So I think we've, we've kind of as a staff have gotten together to talk some things through just as, as an outlet for us. But like in terms of doing stuff and and, and hounding the players, I think it's been more of a performance staff to try to keep them in. I don't want to say game shape because that's, that's not possible, but just to give them some things to do and, you know, for health and to take care of themselves in the, um, while they're they're indoors but yeah i mean obviously like we're doing this now i mean i've done the zoom workouts or or, sorry not zoom workouts, the zoom meetings whether it be you know with more so with people back in the states just to kind of exchange ideas because a lot of my friends over there who are are in the same boat so i mean we haven't done a whole lot of that like i know a lot of nba teams are it's just there's it's 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 different here you know uh, areas are smaller but also you're dealing with players who are I think we might have players in at five or six different countries right now. So the expectation of what is available is, is a lot different than if it's just everyone's in one city and, it's, and, and it can be a little bit more streamlined.
0: Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit more difficult to communicate with everybody that way. Um, Tom, who have been your, your biggest mentors or helpers throughout your career in basketball? And it might be hard to narrow it down to just one or two, but specific people that have really helped you, you know get to where you're
1: at uh in terms of basketball i mean i think greg collins who i just mentioned when i was at Louisville, i'm very fortunate to have worked with him and still as a friend of his day um and um so he because he's the one who really pushed me to say hey listen you need to try to go do something in the nba or something like that when i didn't even know like an usher or or a ticket salesperson, he he was very and unbeknownst to me he was doing some things in his limited network to try and get my name out there so that that was you know obviously but then also I guess it to, to, to narrow it down then the next year I was Mike Malone's intern um in, in Cleveland so I was only paired up with him so obviously he does things at a very high level he's very detail-oriented so it was very it really framed my perspective in terms of what a high level or what the expectations are um, and to me it would, would have been a lot different to go to someone who's not as demanding to someone that's demanding like so to me that's just that's the bar and it's just that's the baseline and um i think that helped immensely um just to be able to uh to to have that perspective tom
0: for people who are looking to break into the basketball industry what advice would you give them
1: it's difficult it's probably more difficult now i would say um than than when i started because i think there's more avenues now i'm sorry my take that back there's more avenues so there's more uh entry level positions but what i think is different is there's it's easier to educate yourself prior to being into it so to me i think you can um to me it's obviously you have to build a network and you have to get out and you need to befriend someone who's willing to you know give you a shot or teach you or whatever it may be so that you have an opportunity to you know break in like you mentioned i mean and you have to be persistent yeah, I, I mean you, you're going to fail and you're going to be told no, many, many, many times. Um, and, but it just takes one person to say yes. So you need to have that perspective. I mean, I think you have to be honest with yourself. If you think you really have a shot and are you doing the right things? And I think it is easier to get creative, like in the age of YouTube and everything like that, and try to maybe have more of a basketball X and O's knowledge prior to getting in. Cause you can watch things online and there's so much access to it, but I mean, nothing, nothing's going to replicate the real deal, but you need to know someone and you need to, even if it's someone who can just get your resume to the top of a pile. So it's actually read um, because there's, there's hundreds and thousands of people that um, just are trying to get the same jobs that you are. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, a, like I said, it's, it's a stamina-based fight more so than just, just expecting it to, to, to happen.
0: I forget who, it might have been Sammy, or, or I think it was Sammy, but he mentioned, uh, you know, just people going out to summer league, grinding it out for two weeks straight, trying to network as much mm-hmm. as possible, you know, and, and he said stamina and who has the most stamina to, to outlast the others at, at an event like that, so it's funny you mentioned that. Um, A couple quick hitters, Tom. Favorite all time basketball player?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I'm going to have to say Kobe just because I got to witness it up front. And again, like I said, I didn't watch a ton of basketball growing up. Like I said, like NBA basketball. So I mean, even, I mean, I've really enjoyed that last dance thing, but I'm going to have to go with, you know, Kobe and Nash. I really appreciate their games just because of, you know, probably more so because of my relationship with them than anything
0: you mentioned watching a lot of college hoops growing up who who do you follow if anybody now do you you root for anybody specifically
1: no uh it's so funny um when i when i started in cleveland wes wilcox who was the advanced scout there who went on to be gm of the the hawks and whatnot uh, he said are you an nba guy or a college guy he said the answer is honestly And i said "A college guy And he goes I'll ask you that in a year and, and, and you will say the exact opposite. So to me, I, I've, I haven't really watched the college game front of, except for, I think I went to the final four when I was in um in San Antonio. I was working at the global academy. So no, I don't. I follow there. I follow a couple of teams just in terms of whether I know the coach or whether like some of my players from the academy have gone on to, to play. So um, I, I follow those teams. Uh, so Virginia being one of them, because one of them, um, you know, one of the guys was actually on the national championship team um the year after he was in the academy. So that that was that was pretty neat. But no, I don't really follow college basketball.
0: Tom, toughest arena you've ever played in as a, a visiting coach. That could be college, NBA, Euroleague.
1: I th- I always thought that one of the one of the tougher arenas to play in the NBA was 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 Utah in in Golden State, even though um even Golden State before they got really good, they always they always packed it in over here there's a lot of them because it's just people are vicious like, in terms of uh and uh, lithuania i will say has a really good uh, um, they they had a very good uh Zalgris had a heck of a presence there in terms of um i mean i saw flares put up in stands in in greece i mean so like there, there's layers to that question where i think if i if i was able to break it down a little bit more i might be able to give you more honest answer or a more, more <laughs> complete answer i should say
0: Sure, sure. Um, besides the uh, MJ documentary, what else are you watching right now? Anything on Netflix? Recommendations for the listeners? Um, any podcasts you're listening to?
1: Um, we're big into documentaries, so we watch we're watching documentaries. Uh, trying to think. Uh, obviously, any of the Netflix staples because obviously, when Ozarks came through, we 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 breezed through that really really quickly, and we 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 hop around... Of the services, whether it be Netflix to HBO to to, to, to Hulu, so we, we use them all. That's when the kids aren't dominating the Disney Plus. Um, and then, um, podcasts I, I, I like, uh, the ESPN ones, uh, the world one, the, the Wind Horse one, Zach Lowe's is good too. And then my wife got me into um Armchair Expert by Doc Shepard. That's been that I was pretty interested in that one. Um, so yeah, anything, I mean. But the the pickings are slim when you've been caught up this this for this um, many months. Like you, we're at the bottom of the barrel of things. Yeah, I'm making
0: my way through all all of the content as well. Um, Tom, Tom, last but not least, you know, is there a way for listeners to connect with you on Are you on social media? Um,
1: nothing. No, I'm not. I, um, no, thankfully, um, no. I, I I try to stay as um, as indiscreet as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm not even on it for like family sake or anything like that. It's just, it, to me, it'd be one more, I understand the value and it, trust me and I'm not knocking anyone who's on it. I just don't, I mean, I, I don't have the the personal bandwidth to deal with that and everything else that's going on, especially when during the season. So, you know, I, I, I don't have anything like that.
0: Sure. Well, before we go, any special shout outs to anyone uh, before, before we sign
1: off? No, I just tell everyone to stay safe and stay smart and, you know, hopefully everyone gets through this and it's just been a heck of an experience.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, we really appreciate you joining us on the edge today. Again, Tom Biashevsky, assistant coach, Olympia Milano. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, and I hope to, you know, see you next time you're in the U S out on the court here soon.
1: Thank you. And hopefully we will be able to come back at some point as well.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening to The Edge. You can catch us on social media at PlaySite on both Twitter and Instagram. That's at P-L-A-Y-S-I-G-H-T. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get a chance, please subscribe and rate this podcast. Big thanks to our partners, the Sport Lifestyle Network. We'll catch you next time on The Edge. Hi, welcome to The Edge podcast. I'm Eric Gormley, and on this episode, we spoke to Tom Biaszewski, assistant coach of Olympia Milano of the Italian League. Tom shared his experience of being in Italy during the coronavirus's early stages and the impact it has had on his team, family, and daily life as a coach overseas. We also discussed Tom's experience in various NBA roles and winding up leading the NBA's global academy team in Australia. Having worked as an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Lakers for five years, Tom shared stories about his relationship with Kobe Bryant, working with him on and off of the court, and the unmatched attention to detail that Kobe had. Let's get to the interview.